Hey guys, and welcome to episode 18 of the Health Spot with Omar. In this episode, I am joined by the legendary Patrick Holford. Patrick is a nutritionist, author, and pioneer of innovative approaches to natural health. He is an author of over 45 books translated into 30 languages, selling million copies worldwide. We talk COVID, cholesterol, homocysteine, what isn't the natural way to die, and what is optimum nutrition. Enjoy. Oh wow, there he is, the myth, the legend. <laughs> good to meet you likewise my first ever book i ever read when i left university was yeah the optimum nutrition bible amazing and um i took it everywhere with me because um and the interesting thing was i realized after university now i can read whatever i want to actually read <laughs> rather than being told oh you have to read this for this exam so I left and then uh, my first mentor, he mentioned the book. He said, look, if you wanna, if you're interested, this will be a good start. Took took it everywhere with me, as I said. Um, I used to work in Selfridges back in the day. And uh, I was that guy who's in the canteen, in the middle of the canteen, yeah. just reading the Optimum Nutrition Bible. So for all those people who worked with me 10 years ago and wondered what book I was reading, it was Patrick's book. And um, I must say, like, it was, it made me think in a different way. Well, first, I was always interested in health. But then when I read your book, I was like, wow, like, you know, nutrition can actually make a change. To and that was that was the one with the red cover. No, it was a blue one. Ah, okay. So tell me about the red one, then. Uh, it started with the red cover. And um, it was actually a funny journey, because I'd been self publishing. And I realized optimum nutrition is the medicine of tomorrow. It literally, uh, that penny dropped for me after a conversation with Dr. Linus Pauling, who had two Nobel Prizes, 48 PhDs. Uh, so I was touting around publishers to take over this work. And I was saying, this isn't a book. You know, this is a genre. There's going to be lots of books. And uh, they said, you need to have a lead book, you know, to start the whole thing off. And they said, well, how about optimum nutrition? encyclopedia they said i said i hate that that horrible idea and whatever and i said what about optimization bible they said yeah that's it and uh, they worked out their publishing schedule we're going to do three books a year and they worked out uh we need to have it in six weeks i said okay uh so i went away and six weeks later delivered the optimum nutrition bible which went into 32 languages sold over two million copies and basically kick-started a revolution including you in the canteen at Selfridges. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. And uh, I did a podcast with uh, Dale Pinnock, the medicinal chef. And um, mm -hmm. I asked him, um, what two books does he recommend for mm -hmm. um, listeners? And it was your book. And, you know, it just brought back really good memories. And uh, I lost it in a fire, unfortunately, but I'm definitely going to buy it again when I get the chance. So... There's a new book coming on April the 25th, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to really change things a lot. And it's called Upgrade Your Brain. Uh, because for the past five years, I've been absolutely focusing on the tragedy that is actually happening in mental health. The European Society of Neuroscientists just said there is a brain health emergency. Wow. And I was literally today reading in the Journal of the, of the American Medical Association, so most established, that over the last 10 years, there's, there's been this massive increase in children who are feeling really sad and depressed. I mean, up to, you know, about a third, literally, I mean, young people. And, um, and 
you know, the, the, the rate of suicidal ideation is astonishing, which, by the way, suicide now under age 24 is the second leading cause of death. So, you know, we've got one in eight children are classified neurodivergent in need of special educational needs. We have people at the other end just drifting off into dementia. And you'll know this, but most people don't. Less than 1% of Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's is two thirds of dementia, by the way, less than 1% is caused by genes. In other words, the vast majority of people never need to lose their marbles at all. I just literally was interviewing a genius man, Professor Michael Crawford, and there's a very simple question which the scientists have puzzled about and never managed to solve. And that is how do the photons you know, in sunlight, they hit our eye, actually turn into the image that goes, oh my God, it's Omar, you know, in color, in precision, in speed. No one has worked that out. And uh, using quantum physics um, and a deep understanding of the brain's neurochemistry, Professor Michael Crawford, at the age of 93, has worked it out. It's just been published. So, you know, <clears throat> that's at the age of 93. So no one needs to get this at the end of life. No one needs to be, you know, messed up early in life as children. And in the middle, you know, we're all sort of enthusiastically negative, depressed, anxious, can't sleep and all that stuff. And the, the biggest sadness of all, and in fact, my wife was just saying this to me this morning, people seem to have lost the connection between food and mental health, you know, food and how you feel. Yeah, uh, yeah. they, they a, do say food is mood, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I did the first study in uh, early 80s uh, with one of my very first students as a, a secondary school headmaster. And uh, we did something outrageous. We took 90 kids. We put a third onto a, a high-strength multivitamin and mineral, third onto placebo, third onto nothing. We thought it would be controversial, so we hired a professor much more qualified than us, Professor David Benton at the University of Swansea, to run the study. We invited BBC Horizon to film it. Uh, we got the Lancet Medical Journal to agree to publish the results. And uh, we got this massive 10-point increase in IQ, think of it as a bit like 10% increase in IQ on the vitamins, 3% increase on the placebo, 7% difference, which would get half of all children classified as special educational needs back to normal. I mean, it's a massive effect. And it hit the front page of every newspaper, it was on every TV news channel. And it was the first study in 87. That really made people think what I put into my mouth affects how I think and feel because people think your IQ, you're just born with it. You know, yes, yeah, a lot of people say that and think yeah. that. Like I remember, um, I remember I was speaking to someone on um my Snapchat. It was just a fam someone, I think it was a friend of a friend. And mm -hmm. I was just saying, like the what you eat does impact the way you think and feel. Yeah. Uh, and I also talk, I was talking going into tap water. And mm -hmm. when you had tap water and you know the chemicals are in there, the residues, the fluoride, he it was like that's nonsense that's nonsense it's not true and then <laughs> i had a uh, dr jenny goodman on she did a big clip on the college of naturopathic medicine because mm -hmm. i'm from birmingham i'm based in birmingham and uh, she did a little clip on how um's tapple has been fluoridated for a long time and when she just tested the iq of the children in in mm -hmm. birmingham she could see a correlation mm -hmm. well it's funny you say that because one of the first examples of this link uh, was a professor Needleman, Herbert Needleman in the 70s, and he collected baby teeth, right? 
And uh, he invented a questionnaire about behavior, which today we would call attention deficit, hyperactive disorder, impulsive, not able to complete tasks, confused, and so on. And he basically showed the level of lead uh, in the baby teeth predicted what we would call ADHD. And um, at the time when we did the science on it, uh, this was actually my very, very first project with a man called Professor Derek Bryce Smith. We could work out that in effect, the IQ of inner city London kids would be five points lower than urban due to lead exposure. And we campaigned and achieved the banning of lead in petrol. But the point is you can't see this. So we're very, it's a sort of short-term, long-term memory type thing. You know, we drink alcohol because it makes us relax. We have a coffee because instantly it makes us alert. Uh, but we can't really actually understand something that might affect us in a few days or weeks or months because we, we just can't see the association. So common sense, which is a really, really good thing, kind of breaks down when you have something like lead in teeth affects this. You you have to do the science, um, you know, to, to really see that effect. And for example, a study just came out which showed that your blood glucose level, even if in the normal range, um, so not nothing abnormal, not talking about diabetes, but your blood glucose level at the age of 40 um, predicts your risk for Alzheimer's dementia. So... So these problems that are happening are not happening just because of what happened yesterday. They're a consequence of many years gradual accumulation where your body and your brain lose its resilience until you tip into a state of chronic anxiety, depression, can't concentrate, losing your memory. And then you forget what it was that Omar was saying that you need to do. Uh, so... Our charity, foodforthebrain.org, which is amazingly resourceful place. Amazing. Um, it's about uh, it. It's so good. Yeah. Have you done the test yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to get into that uh, in a moment. Um, but before we do, for those who have no idea who you are, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the yeah. listeners, who you are, what you've done, and what got you into optimum nutrition. Uh, okay. Well, the first thing is, I have to tell you that I'm, when I was about 13 or 14, I, I had some interesting experiences, which I guess we could call a little bit spiritual and mystical, which uh, made me kind of really interested in what life is all about. So I was a bit strange because I'm 14 or 15. I'm reading Herman Hess, uh, his book Siddhartha, and then The Glass Bead Game, which is absolute classic piece of literature. And he was really the, the writer who brought across the sort of mysticism of India uh, in a way that, you know, impacted you. It certainly impacted me. And I was reading the psychologist Jung. And, and uh, I happened to do really well in maths and economics. So I was heading off to university to do that. And um, a strange thing happened. I decided I would go to India and find the meaning of life, you know, hunt for a guru or whatever. So I went to the doctor to get the hepatitis jab which is called gamma globulin, and uh, returned to my bedroom um, flat in, in, in London. And, <clears throat> and suddenly I was sitting on the floor, wham, I, I had an experience of infinity and eternity. I was I literally an out-of-body experience. Everything was light, everything was pulsing, everything was energy, it was infinite, it was eternal. It was really amazing. And then wham, I'm back on the floor in my room. So it's quite funny because when people say, are you anti-vax? I say, no, no, I'm not anti-vax. I had an amazing experience, one of the most extraordinary experiences in my life um, as a consequence or, you know, after vaccination is an amazing thing. And that really got me thinking. So I switched to study psychology 
and uh, this is late 70s, went to study psychology. The, the department was desperate to be a science. Uh, before then, psychology was a BA. It was an art, not a science. Um, so this was really hardcore experimental psychology. We learned a lot about brain neurochemistry. I would got very much into nutrition from another direction at the same time. And then I came across, uh, so we were taught about randomized placebo-controlled double-blind trials. And I came across this trial, which had given schizophrenics a high dose of B vitamins or placebo. And the results were really, really remarkable. Way better than drugs, way better than psychotherapy, which was my orientation at that time. And um, I showed it to my professor and he said, oh, some crackpot theory about nutrition. So I jumped on a plane, went to meet uh, the head of psychiatric research in Canada who'd done this study. And, <clears throat> and I said, how many people have you treated using this mega vitamin approach? Uh, and he said, well, about 3000. And I said, what's your success rate? And he said, 85% um, cure. I said, I've never seen a cured schizophrenic. You need to define what you mean by cure. And he said, free of symptoms, able to socialize with family and friends and paying income tax. Now, I'd never met a schizophrenic paying income tax. So <laughs> I, I said, can I meet some of these formerly schizophrenic people? And I hang around and I met some really interesting people who clearly were quite sane. And uh, then I said, I have one more question for you. Can I become your student? So that's how it started for me with Dr. Aben Hoffer. Uh, one man brought his son up from Canada, uh, sorry, from Carmel, California. That's where Clint Eastwood lives. Um, the son got cured of his schizophrenia. The father bought 50 copies of Abenhofer's book, went, went back to Carmel, gave one to every doctor in the county. One of the doctors had invited to tea Dr. Linus Pauling. Now, Linus Pauling had 48 PhDs and two Nobel Prizes. He was, uh, he was a dear friend of Albert Einstein. When Albert Einstein was asked, are you a genius? He said, if you want a real genius, it's Linus Pauling. So Linus Pauling understood Einstein's physics, applied it to chemistry, and that is the beginning of modern chemistry. I, I, and he was, he, he was so bright. I mean, for example, ether made you unconscious. Nobody knew how. He sat down, worked it out. Chemistry of unconsciousness, that's modern anesthetics for you. So... Pauling picked up this book, apparently. He went to tea with one of the doctors, picked up Abenhofer's book, started reading it. And within a very short period of time, the two collaborated and um, stated that the future of medicine will be finding out the right level of nutrients, these, endogenous, these substances that are part of our design to restore balance in health and also in mental health. They called it orthomolecular, the right molecules. Um, so I then plugged into Linus Pauling, then realized we needed to have an institute to really do this properly. So I set up in 84, um, I guess I'm, you know, 26 at that point, the Institute for Optimum Nutrition. Linus Pauling was my patron. That other professor, Derek Bryce Smith, who got let out of petrol, he was another patron. And we invented a new profession, which we now call nutritional therapy. And there are 10,000 nutritional therapist now trained. It's a degree accredited training. And uh, I, I, I worked hard up to about 98, you know, making that happen and then left and started writing, you know, 48 books to date. Uh, and then set up the charity Food for the Brain Foundation to focus on mental health and nutrition in 2006, uh, which is now really um, coming of age. So 
I'm a sort of, who am I? Just a person who believes in human beings and humanity and all of us being able to achieve our full potential. We are both physical beings and spiritual beings and emotional beings and sexual and vital beings. And, uh, you know, and our true potential is incredible. Uh, and it's just a tragedy to watch humanity decaying, losing its intelligence, connection, sociability. I mean, you know, we're, we're literally losing <clears throat> 7% IQ per generation, which is exactly the increase we got with B vitamins back in the IQ study in the 80s. Wow, wow. And I, was, I did wonder this when I was reading the book, <clears throat> How did you work out what was optimum nutrition? Was that a lot of like testing a lot of groups saying, okay, we'll give you this amount of nutrition. And then, yeah. because I, I, that's, that's the one thing that came to my mind when I finished reading the book. Yeah. Well, the first thing is, and it's very important because until then, you know, we had these things called RDAs, which I call ridiculous dietary arbitraries, um, which was, for example, the amount of vitamin C would stop you getting scurvy where your teeth fall out and wounds don't heal and so on. So the first question you have to ask is what's optimum health? And health used to be defined as just an absence of illness. So if you don't have a disease, you're healthy, which of course is not true because there are three levels of health. There's, there's vertically well, um, then there's um, vertically sick, and then there's horizontally sick. And doctors don't tend to teach you until you're horizontally sick. Correct. And you don't become vertically sick if you're vertically well. So optimum health was the first thing to define. So in other words, physically, we, we mean that you can at least, you know, climb the stairs, if not a mountain. Intellectually, your brain is working, your mood is good. And of course, there are tests as well. So, you know, we test things like, you know, your homocysteine level, which we may go on to, which is such an exquisite marker of health. So, um, and, you know, being having all of those health functions for as long as possible so you know longevity is part of that so then we now say what is the level of vitamin c that confers the longest longevity the least illness and so on so now you get into sort of really good science because i take vitamin c as a classic example the weird thing that most people don't realize is that every single animal on the face of this planet is making vitamin c from glucose from sugar uh, literally, they make it in their body. A goat will make 16 grams a day. One gram. The goat makes the most, don't they? Is it yeah, the they're, they're really big on it. And they're making it from the sugar they get in grass. So they're sacrificing a lot of energy they could get in grass to make tons of vitamin C. One gram is 20 oranges. And <clears throat> if you expose them to a virus, they they actually will, will make a ton more. So viruses consume vitamin C and all animals will make enough vitamin C to keep their blood level at a certain point. So the point of the story is that I do something really weird. In fact, I haven't done it yet today, but I take vitamins. So um, this particular one here is vitamin C and it's, it's about a gram, a little bit of zinc in there and black elderberry, whatever, but I'm going to take two a day. And people say, well, that's, that's like weird, isn't it? Well, it's actually what every single animal does, except for primates who've lost the ability to make vitamin C and consequently have much more risk of viral diseases, much more risk of cancer and don't live so long, which we can get onto. So now if I get the first sign of a cold or COVID, for example, I had COVID twice at the beginning and end, um, I immediately will take three or four grams of vitamin C and then I'll take two grams every two hours. 
And people go, oh my God, that's a lot. Don't you get loose bowels, which is what you get if you take too much? And the answer is no, when you're fighting a virus. But if you can keep going and you've won, then you'll get the loose bowels, which means it's time to stop, or, you know. So all I'm doing is exactly what a goat does, you know, if they're exposed to a virus. So why do our dogs and cats and goats and sheep and cows not get COVID? You know, it's a point. And I'll tell you something, and, it, you know, excuse me if I'm a little bit left field, but... Um, say it, say it. Well, there was a study a few months ago, and what it, a very good study, University of Newcastle, and it showed that cats got the same variant of COVID as their owners, right? Mm -hmm. But no cats died. A really interesting thing. Yeah. And I was contemplating this thing, and I thought it deserved a kitty ditty. <laughs> so I wrote this, which goes, there once was a cat who got corona from yeah. its own. She said, don't stroke my pussy. She's trying to self-isolate. The pussy got in such a state, no strokes, no treats. So just ate mice, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, she didn't wear a mask or bend the knee, just took extra zinc and made more vitamin C, which just goes to show that if you're a smart cat, sanitize your tongue and lick your coat and go easy on your felicitations, especially from strangers with a cough or sore throat and stay away from vets offering untested vaccinations. Wow. Well, uh, I like that because uh, one of the first things I did after I read your book, I went on YouTube and to see what interviews you've done on TV. And I must say, you've you've kind of like handled yourself quite well in sometimes on TV shows where they're trying to kind of like demean you or put you down. And I'm seeing that and I was like, okay, let's see how you react. Back then, I was like, oh, if that was me, I'll probably retaliate in a maybe a negative way. But you've you've kept calm and just like been like, well, if I think it was um it was on this morning, I think, and it was uh for a lady who reversed her diabetes and he was giving chromium tablets. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that was really sad actually, because I mean I've been hung, drawn, and quartered so many times. And at that point, I had just gone public and said type two diabetes is reversible. <clears throat> yeah. So not just you know maintainable but reversible, which we now know is true. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, Dr. Hillary uh, Jones, who is the usual doctor, it was on holiday and otherwise it would have been very different. So what GMTV had done was they'd found me a diabetic um, and uh, her name was Kyra. And uh, I said, I need six weeks. And in six weeks, I put her on a low glycemic load diet, a low GL diet, very, very precise, 40 GLs a day. I gave her certain vitamins, including the mineral chromium at a very specific dose, 600 micrograms a day. And I had her walk for half an hour um, every day. And by the end of those six weeks, there is absolutely no symptom or blood test that would define her as a diabetic. And she'd managed to come off all medication um, because she had no need for it. And it was really funny. Well, it was sad in the interview because there was a doctor there that was called in and she said the GL diet is just the Mediterranean diet, which it isn't. It's a very, very precise thing. Um, I thought she might have a little go. I'd brought in the 26 published studies. I had a study. Yeah, I saw you holding the papers. <laughs> on chromium, and she completely dissed that, but didn't even know about it, is the truth. And saying, no, no, Kyra hasn't reversed her diabetes, it affects your kidneys, your eyes. And poor Kyra was sitting there sort of next to me going, I've had my eyes checked, they're perfect. I have my kidneys checked, they're perfect. I'm feeling perfect. So the patient was fine. The doctor had a problem. And unfortunately that sort of limited the, the positive message impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, from what I remember, 
and it's quite interesting i still remember it um because it was a while back when i watched it um she was trying to attack your credentials as well uh yeah i mean it it it, <laughs> it i did one uh, which will make you laugh in a way but uh, it was with the head of the british dietetic association who at the time was definitely massively anti the concept of supplements you know and uh, i thought she would have a serious go and we were sitting in the green room where you wait before going going on on the broadcast and i was having a little chat and i asked did you you know in the in the little chat do you by any chance take supplements she says yeah, yeah i take an rda you know sort of centrum or sonatogen or something and um anyway then you know she started to put the boot in a bit on supplements and i i turned to her and said said you know catherine you're the head of the british dietetic association so do you believe you can get all the nutrients you need from a well-balanced diet uh, which is their maxim. So she says, yes, yes, absolutely. And I said, and I presume you as head of the, you know, the dietitians eat a well-balanced diet. And she said, well, yeah, yeah, I do. And I said, and do you take any supplements? And she said, well, yes, I take an RDA multivitamin. I said, why on earth would you take an RDA multivitamin if you're eating a well-balanced diet? I mean, you know, the logic just is not there. And yeah. And also, even when I supplement, I'm not trying to supplement what I think is the optimum level. I'm trying to supplement the difference between what I can achieve in my diet and what is the optimum level. So the next thing, which I mean, all of this were sort of learning things. So there are people out there who think, oh, supplements are a waste of time. And they just it just is not true. But why and is I that then? Why is there like a why is it, you know, one part of my brain is like they're just trying to brush off the benefits of supplements they're saying that it's this expensive uh urine urine yeah yeah, yeah. I, you hear that a lot yeah and the other side is from like our side saying that now supplementation is good because the amount of nutrients that you get in your food now is just like totally lost compared to like 50 years ago well it's i mean i'd tell you two things number one water is the most important nutrient of all you know it makes up two-thirds of our body that's why i tell all my clients um to when you wake up first thing in the morning at least drink a glass of water i drink half a liter but yeah. actually, and, it's from your book, actually, yeah? Drinking half a liter of water in the morning. And, and good water. So the question is, what happens to the water that I drink? And the answer is, I pee it out. So I make watery urine from drinking water. So should I therefore not drink water? And you go, well, no, actually, it does some really good things, you know, between the in and the out. Yeah. So when I take vitamin C, it, I will excrete almost all the vitamin C that I consume. And um, you can actually measure if it's been used. So there's um, ascorbic acid is, is unspent, fully loaded vitamin C, and dihydroascorbic acid is spent. So, so you can actually, you'd measure vitamin C in the urine. I mean, if I've taken in two grams, I'll pretty much excrete two grams over the next 48 hours. And if you bother to do the analysis, I can work out how much that vitamin C has actually worked as an antioxidant, um, if you like, keeping me young. So, of course, you excrete them. Yeah. You know, otherwise, you'd be full of calcium. You'd be full of iron. You'd be full of vitamin C. You'd be full of water. You'd explode. So, yeah. you know, that sort of doesn't make sense. Now, I'll tell you another one and then answer your question. But I got done by the Advertising Standard Agency about 10 years ago. Um, because I did a big promotion saying that you cannot get all the vitamin D you need in the winter from your food. It's rich in oily fish like mackerels, and you have to supplement. And I got done uh, because there is a rule 
uh, which says you cannot imply that you cannot get all the nutrients you need from well-balanced diet. So I got done. And then a few years ago, the government announced and do a big campaign, uh, you can't get all the vitamin D you need between October and March, you must supplement. And I did feel like reporting them to the advertising standards. Did they charge you for that? Um, no, they didn't charge me. It's okay. just a, a sort of a black mark. But, you know, it, it you know, whatever. The point is that there's no real thinking here. And I think, and you ask, why not? What's behind this? And I would say to a large extent, ultimately, it's it's pharmaceutical medicine that's behind it. Um, unfortunately, uh, doctors have really become, you know, drug pushers. Um, so, I mean, I'll give you an example of this. I'm 65. I've just completed my paragliding pilot license exam. Wow. Uh, right. So I thought I should learn a new trick, keep my brain active. So I've just been in the Alps flying with eagles, which is kind of cool. And these are eagle feathers behind me here, by the way. Wow. And, that. and um, you know, so so you can sort of, you can uh, uh, kind of do things. What were we talking about? I just lost my thread there just for one second. Um, I... You're talking about the advertising agency, the vitamin D. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, you're saying, and you're saying that the doctors are like dr drug pushers. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. So so um, th the, point, th th the point is that, uh, you know, I'm 65. Uh, I went for a checkup for something. Um, I have the most perfect blood fats called triglycerides. They're phenomenally low. I have a really high so-called good cholesterol, HDL. I have no high blood pressure. I have no health problem at all. And um, in fact, my risk for a heart attack would be zero. And uh, my cholesterol uh, is above a, a fictional number of five, and it was like 5.3. And the doctor is saying, you need to be on statins for the rest of your life. And <clears throat> I said to him, what's the NNT for statins for someone like me? And NNT is the numbers needed to treat for a benefit. So if you're looking at this logically and you go to a doctor and they offer you a drug, in this case statins, um, and you say, how many people like me would have to take statins for one less heart attack? That's the NNT. So if it's a thousand, it means if a thousand patients took the statins, you get one less heart attack. And what you also want to know is the numbers need to treat for harm. You know, because if, if five out of those thousand would die from the drug side effect, then you know this is not good medicine. And of course, a doctor should know this. They should know it. And he said, good heavens, do you expect me to know the NNT um, for all the drugs I prescribe? I said, yes. You know, that's your uh, I mean, bloody hell, like they're giving it to us, so they should know. I mean, it's your job. Yeah, even, even if you asked them like yeah. five and, ingredients for a certain drug, yeah. they wouldn't know. Yeah, so I, I then said, well, do, you know, I know what the NNT is for me, and it's, you know, infinity. I mean, there, there is no benefit. He said, I said, how did you arrive at this ridiculous suggestion? And he said, oh, well, there's a calculator that's done by the National Institute of Clinical Excellence that says your age is 65, your cholesterol is 5.3, you need to be on drugs. So it's just appalling. Now, a friend of mine who used to be the vice dean of Oxford Medical School was sitting in on a lecture of the Oxford University medical students. So, you know, probably the best place to study medicine. Um, and, and at the end of the lecture, there's seven minutes on nutrition. And the lecturer says, by the way, that is all you're getting in your medical training on nutrition. 
I remember you um, mentioned that I think on your one of your podcasts that, um, and that's something I want to talk about as well like how much time do doctors get taught in medical school about nutrition so officially seven minutes or is is it well that, that, seven minutes yeah I mean they'll learn a little bit about you know balanced diet and that sort of thing but it's like chromium they will absolutely not learn that there are 28 randomized placebo-controlled trials showing that chromium works just as well as metformin, the prescribed drug. So there's just a ton that they absolutely don't learn. And one of the problems is they are kind of, you know, bigged up. So it's very, very hard for a doctor to say, I honestly don't know. Mm. So the assumption is that if they weren't taught it, it's nonsense. So we've got this culture within medicine. And I mean, I wrote recently and, and I realized there are a lot of young doctors and nurses and ambulance drivers having a shit life. And I, I, I totally get it. But I, I wrote and said, it's not more doctors, more nurses, more ambulance drivers, more money that will save Britain's fastest growing failing business, which is the National Health Service. Um, it's only one thing can save it, and that is less patience. And you'll never have less patience until you put prevention at the top. And the thing that's driving these diseases from Alzheimer's to heart disease to cancer to diabetes is primarily not only nutrition, nutrition, stress, environment, exercise, and so on. But nutrition is so important. And unfortunately, we're in this sort of slightly losing battle at the moment, which is that the, the more we lose our IQ, and uh, the more we lose our intelligence, the less able we are to actually think about what needs to be done. Politicians are so sort of interested in winning the next election. They don't want to put, I mean, I, I got hammered for suggesting a sugar tax in about 20 years ago. Wow, um, really? Oh, you mentioned that. Wow. Yeah, because you know, you've got to make the bad stuff less attractive, the good stuff more attractive, and you have to educate. So an ex a fascinating thing was in Algeria, the head of Algeria, whoever he may be, was uh, persuaded by a friend of mine, the doctor out there, that the way to deal with COVID was to really up vitamin C when, when someone gets it, really up vitamin D. Zinc is terribly important, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they completely took that on board. And the Algerian hospitals were treating people correctly with intravenous vitamin C. They were doing that at Chelsea and Westminster here as well. I was... Um, you know, advising someone there too. And um, they, they, they had the guy do a radio broadcast uh, several hours, which was shown every week to educate the public about what to do. And they had a fraction, a fraction of the deaths of the countries either side of them, um, you know, Morocco, um, Tunisia and so on. So all of this stuff is totally doable is totally doable tomorrow. 70, at least, well, I would say over 80% of all dementia and Alzheimer's need not happen right now um, if we targeted prevention. And the wonderful thing is the very same things that will prevent you losing your mind will also stop you getting diabetes or heart disease. And then what happens is you start pumping with energy. You know, you just feel amazing. Yeah. And you wake up earlier and your mind is active and, um, you know, most people I meet are sort of, we call them knackered apes, you know, sort of crawling along, um, exhausted. And um, I tend to exhaust people around me. <laughs> but when you uh, get... The, why is that? What do you mean? Well, it's just um, a, a question of sort of keeping up. 
I have an amazing team at our charity and they, yeah. you know, they're, they're just pumping on all cylinders as well. But the thing is, you don't need to have this loss of energy, this loss of function. We just buy into the idea. Oh, yeah, you know. 100%, 100%. Like, um, I always have friends and family and clients that are, oh, you know, when I get older, I won't be able to walk. I was like, mm. why, why, why do you think that? And she's like, well, my my parents were like that, and yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna. So what they've seen from their experience, I'm like, well, um, did your parents like do some resistance training or uh, look after the nutrition? Because like I'm seeing like they've got bone issues, they're they're losing a lot of muscle, yeah. um, they're getting more and more sedentary, where they're just literally just sitting at home. And um, my ambition is is to i'm a health coach now i'm just nutrition based but i'm going to be doing a going to be a qualified personal trainer by sometime next year because i'm just thinking like i'm married i got kids what can i do right now you know mm-hmm. so uh, i'm trying to see what courses i can do what can i implement and how can i spread the message uh, around the world and for me it's uh i'm quite interested in the elderly and women mm-hmm. because i've got two daughters and they're really young three and five but I can already see um, what their perception perception is of illness and disease. And they yeah. just think that it is what it is. You can't do nothing about it. And mm. it just looks feels like to me the best way I can do it is lead by example. And they're already, you know, they're having the elderberry syrup and they've got a vitamin C. Mm. Um, I've got like my medicine cabinet is more of a nutrition cabinet more than anything. Yeah. So um well- no, I mean, that's the place to start. I'm sort of a generation ahead. I've got, um, you know, I've got grandkids the age of, of your kids, and it's fantastic to watch them grow up. Uh, but also, you know, these kids are very important. And of course, women tend, you know, to provide the nourishment, you know, it's just part of our sort of design and such. So it's easier to wake the women up, you know, who then tell the men, the men what to eat on the whole. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's fantastic. I mean, it's a very, very rewarding, important and essential um, career path. And you're right, you have to lead by example. And in truth, it's less about knowing what to do. I mean, of course, we study for three years and get degrees and so on. But but ultimately, you know, if you get into this, it becomes clear what's going on. Uh, the issue is how do you change people? So, you know, the coaching side is is really, really important um, because uh, you, you have to kind of get quick results because when someone starts to feel better relatively quickly, they're then more motivated to do the things that you suggest they do. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I know some nutritionists, for example, will get you to change one thing, a little thing first and then something else. No, I go in all guns blazing. Wow. So one week. I want you to have no sugar, no coffee, or you say all these vitamins, you know, I'm going to go in hard because I know that they'll trust me for a week. You know, they may suffer a bit, but they'll trust me just for one week. And at the end of that week, they go, wow, I'm feeling really different, you know? And and if I said to you or someone else, I don't know, um, you know, no coffee, coffee is really bad, never have it. Uh, you know, you, you wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything. But if I said, when was the last time you didn't have a coffee? And go, well, you know, I think I've been drinking it for 20 years, you know? And I said, would you consider the possibility of having one week in your life without coffee? Right? One week. 
okay, I'll do it, you know. So yeah. it, it, it's that sort of thing. By the way, I'm not saying that coffee is, is you know, is the worst evil. It's, it's actually not too bad. There's, there's a split opinion on coffee. And, like, I base it on personal, like, how that ind individual feels. So me, yeah. when I have it, I get jitters. And yeah. then I won't be able to sleep. Um, I actually feel actually I feel more tired, but I don't feel like falling asleep. And that you mentioned that in the optimum nutrition Bible as well. And I read that I was like, oh, okay, this is what's happened to me. Like, it's just not for me. But like, for example, my wife, she could drink it in the night just to give yeah. her a nice brew. Um, she's not drinking as much now because she's seen some stuff online and some doctors saying that actually maybe you should stop drinking it. But then you've got other professionals saying that oh, there's polyphenols and benefits to it. So yeah. what do you think? Well, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting one. It kind of shows the complexity of nutrition. So you're right. On the one hand, it has all these wonderful polyphenols, antioxidants and so on, which technically are good for you. And I, I'm sure they are. And um, on the other hand, it's full of stimulants, you know, caffeine being being the prime one, which has an immediate effect. Uh, but it, it, the, the, it, it, the effect lasts for up to sort of 10 hours. So it will depress melatonin so you don't sleep so well. So generally sleep, having coffee, Caffeine in the afternoon is a bad idea if you you know if you have any sleeping issues because you won't sleep and you need to sleep. Sleep is very important. Um, and what happens? You're you're activating the adrenal system, which is your emergency mode. And of course, if all your energy is going into emergency mode, you're not digesting and you're not repairing. So this is why when you get freaked out, you know you might get loose bowels or you know kids will have an accident or whatever. Um, you know, so so the body will channel its energy where it needs to go. The biggest problem is if you're permanently in a state of stress, anxiety, which is caffeine is designed to get you into that state. And if you're permanently in that state, your immune system is shutting down, you're not anti-aging, you know, and so on. So you kind of you don't want to be in that state all the time. You need to find a way of being alert and active um, that isn't stressy. That's the thing. But now, if you have like high cortisol levels and then yeah. you have cough, coffee on top, that's not a good combination, is it? No. So what, what's kind of been learned about coffee is, uh, oh, and by the way, just to sort of contextualize it in the sort of the bad side, then I'll give you the good side, so to speak. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, studies have shown that if you take non-caffeine consumers uh, and you uh, measure their alertness in the morning, they are as alert as a caffeine consumer who wakes up tired, then has a coffee, and then becomes equally alert of a non-caffeine consumer. So in other words, what caffeine does is it cures the withdrawal effects of caffeine. Wow. You know, so that, that I'll give you all the bad sides. It yeah. raises this thing called homocysteine, which is an amazing predictor and marker and actually a causative agent for a dementia Alzheimer's. So we don't- What is homocysteine? Well, basically there is, um, um, there's a process that goes on in your body. It's called methylation. And um, you have these methylation reactions at a rate of about 1 billion every two seconds. So there's a lot going on. Um, you've heard maybe the genes can be turned on or off. Uh, gene expression is done by methylation. If suddenly the fire alarm goes off and you're you're making adrenaline in 0.2 of a second, how do you make it? You do it by methylation. If you eat a biscuit and you need insulin, how do you make it by methylation? So there's um, how do you repair DNA that's been damaged by methylation? So you've got, I mean, you've got 
this micromanagement process called methylation, which is driven and requires B vitamins, particularly vitamin B6, B12, and folate. So folic acid, folate is the B vitamin in foliage in greens. So think of greens. So why are pregnant women told to have folic acid? Because if they don't, they have faulty methylation. If they have faulty methylation, they get DNA problems. So by having folate, which improves methylation, um, you don't get the neural tube defects like spina bifida. So the measure of whether you are good or bad at methylation is a blood test called homocysteine. And um, homocysteine is the name of the test. And it actually predicts school grades. In one study, the children with the low homocysteine have the high school grades and the high homocysteine have the low school grades. So it's it's like really, really, really important. Is that and like a blood test? The blood test, yeah. Foodforthebrain.org. Um, we finally, because um, it's been really hard to get. I mean, doctors should be testing it and they can. They can request it, but they don't. Um, it should be as common as cholesterol. It's a marker for a hundred diseases. I mean, there's nothing, glucose, iron, cholesterol. There's nothing out there that is a marker of a hundred diseases. It's so important. I mean, two thirds of the elderly who die of heart attacks have high homocysteine, not high cholesterol. So, and the thing, the crazy thing about it is that you actually don't know what your level is. So it's, it's entirely possible, Omar, that your level could be high um and my level you know could be low mine is low it, it's seven um but the reason is that <clears throat> some people just don't absorb vitamin b12 very well and and if you don't you you, you might be eating it but you're, you're not absorbing it. i mean in the over 60s two in five people basically have got raised homocysteine due to malabsorption of b12 so you know eggs fish meat chicken you know um animal produce contains b12 but if you're a malabsorber you don't have any so obviously vegans have very very little which is why they have to supplement b12 yeah. but if you can absorb it the amount of b12 you need is not the rda of two microgram it's actually 500 microgram you need and that's because you have to take a lot more to absorb a little if you're not very good at absorbing b12 so it's another classic example where to say you can get everything you need from food. Supplements are a waste of time. It literally is killing people. That piece of advice is driving people towards dementia. And then you would ask the question, well, why would some people not you know, do this? And for example, it's to do with the lack of stomach secretions. So one of the most prescribed drugs at the moment are what we call the antacids proton pump inhibitors. They usually end in azole or meprazole, for example. And um, these drugs are being handed out like smarties. And if a person is on one of these drugs, um, four years use has increased their risk of dementia by about 30, about 30%, over 30%, because they will not be absorbing B12 so well. And without B12, you can't do methylation. And if you're not doing methylation, your homocysteine goes up. And homocysteine also damages the brain and damages the arteries. So when you were saying, what's the definition of optimum nutrition? In this context, the optimal amount of B vitamins is whatever keeps your homocysteine level below seven. And if, if I have a, a woman who wishes to get pregnant, I would say, number one, measure your homocysteine. It's a 40-something pound blood test. Make sure it's below seven. 
I had a couple in one of my lectures. The mother had had a stroke, which is very strongly linked to homocysteine. And the daughter um, said to the mother, mom, you must have this test. And she said, I will, if you will. And when the results came back, the mother's level was six, below seven, optimal. So her stroke had nothing to do with faulty methylation or B vitamins. Mm -hmm. And the daughter's level was 26. Wow. Yeah. And she had chronic fatigue syndrome and she'd had it for the last, I think, three years since a car accident. And I gave her the high strength B vitamins that brought her homocysteine down. And 30 days later, she had no chronic fatigue syndrome and her homocysteine was normal. Amazing. So it happens in young people. We know that in, in, in male schizophrenics almost always have high homocysteine. So remember the Dr. Abram Hoffer who treated all the schizophrenic people. I know a schizophrenic. I actually met one um, last week. Yeah. And um, he, he was just saying, he was just telling me that he's on benefits. And he was, he was just asking me, oh, how much tax do you pay? I was like, this much. I was like, how about you? He's like, oh, now I go all discounted. I was like, right, how's that done? He's like, oh, I'm a schizophrenic, so I get benefits. I was like, yeah. oh. And here we are talking about it. So maybe there's something. I'm, I'm going to see him today anyway. So yeah. So we want to get his homocysteine measured. It, it probably will be high given the B vitamins. That's what stopped hallucinations in this first ever, first ever double-blind control trial in the history of psychiatry uh, done my, by my lovely teacher, Dr. Abram Hoffer. And I want to tell you something about him because I just love it. He's a Quaker, okay? And I know his son, who's professor of medicine now at McGill in Canada. And um, he believed that every human being deserved to have a place they could call home, someone they could call a friend and three square meals a day. So when he had a patient who had none of those things, he'd say, come and live with us. So his kids, who I know well, had a very interesting upbringing uh, where they inevitably had a, you know, a schizophrenic or more than one living in their house, um, behaving quite strangely, but gradually, you know, getting their life back together. Um, and uh, the man died. Uh, he treated 6,000 people before he died. He died in his mid-90s. Um, two weeks before his death, he stopped seeing patients. And uh, four days before his death, he said, I'm not feeling very well. Two days before his death, he checked into the local hospital. He had no disease, no diabetes, no cancer, no heart disease. And in, in the last 48 hours, his organs just packed up. He had no pain, no medication, and he died peacefully, mid-90s, two weeks off work. And... That's why I do everything I do, because that is all of our potential. Um, but you need to get on it at whatever age you're at. You know, obviously, the younger, the better. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting you mentioned that, because um, there's one question that I kind of had in my mind to ask someone is, you know, we're all going to eventually die. And that's something that people say to me, oh, what, what's the point of all this nutrition stuff? Eating healthy, just enjoy the cake now. Um, just eat whatever you want and you're going to die anyway. But you've kind of just nailed it on the head. You just said, you're basically saying that we shouldn't be dying in pain. We should be dying peacefully. And where everyone just shuts off, it's ready to go and ready to meet our maker, right? Well, I mean, absolutely. The average woman in the EU right now will spend 13 years of their life, the last 13 years of their life disabled which is defined as unable to climb 10 steps. So do you want to spend over a decade as a cripple, uh, you know, losing your mind, uh, or do you want to have a full and active life and do much like the salmon does, you know, who jumps up the stream and goes back to the place where it all began? Um, you know, that's your choice. But 
it ceases to be a choice if you don't make some prevention steps early. And that's why, you know, at Food for the Brain.org, um, we've been getting 100 people a day. We've now tested over 400,000 people. You can simply go there, you click the button, you take the test, it's free. It shows you what's driving your risk. So now you are informed, you have some opportunities uh, for actions that you can do. None of it is that difficult. All of it has very rapid payoffs. And you know the Food for the Brain project is a wonderful example in you know actually doing prevention. Amazing. What was your score? Yeah, you... and I was about to tell you that what was my score. So um, yeah. firstly, I want to go through the questions that were asked. So um, typical questions are: Do you smoke? I don't. Um, how much fish do you eat in a week? Um, bad breath. I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, I was wondering, oh, why did you ask? Um, do you have bad breath or not? Because I know some people who do, and I was just wondering what's the link. There's a link between dental health and dementia, mm -hmm. and we don't exactly know why. You know, the microbiome, but the gut. Everyone's talking about the gut and the brain. The gut actually starts in the mouth. Mm -hmm. So um, the oral, you know, oral microbiome. The oral microbiome is having an effect on the brain, hence the question. Yeah. It's interesting because like holistic dentists I've spoken to, they say, well, everything starts in the mouth. When you start eating, it all starts from here. So that's quite important. Um, so my score was 61%. Mm -hmm. And when I think back, um, looking at the questions, oh, do I eat organic and all the rest of it? Um, I must say, I must well, say over the past... I think ever since I started like doing this podcasting and, you know, life, life gets in the way, there's a lot more I can change. And it's kind of been a good wake up call to like, oh, gosh, there's something I need to do here. Did you have any reds in the, in the eight domains? That's true. Oranges. That's true. Yeah, because basically there are eight domains like the B vitamins, the brain fats, healthy gut, active mind, active body and so on. And you, you want each domain to be green. Uh, next best is yellow, then orange, and then red. And uh, that's that's kind of what shows you where you're at. Find I couldn't find it. No, do I have to uh, log in and find it? Uh, probably. But but don't worry. The, the issue, I mean, the biggest problem we face is people say, I don't want to do the test. Why? I don't want to know. Why don't you want to know? Because there's nothing you can do about it. So I'm scared. And, you know, people think, oh, because my parent got dementia, Alzheimer's, I'm going to get it, which is totally not true. So I still don't, you know, how do you break this ostrich thing? I don't want to do it because I don't want to know, et cetera. But the thing is, if you do the, the test, the first part is interactive. It's not a questionnaire. It oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. I just remembered now. Actually, I'm glad you remind me of that. It, it reminded me of doing like a verbal reasoning test back in when I was trying out for um, grammar school. It's quite interesting. And that is time, time uh, limited as well. It's not easy. And um, and you can't cheat, so you can't make a good score. So that takes about ten minutes, something like that. And then then you get asked questions, and from the questions we assess risk. And the goal is to drive your sixty one percent down to zero. And um, then we have a we have a an, like an app. It's a program called Cognition that you can join. It's fifty pounds a year. That's actually how we do everything we're doing in the charity. We're doing phenomenal research in the charity and we do it from people just being friends and giving 50 quid a year and then you get personalized so you know if your weak area was the sugar area you're going to get emails and you know reminders on whatsapp if you wish films to watch zoom groups to join 
interactions and step by step by step by step, um, you make changes over the next month. And then you redo just that part of the questionnaire and says, well done, you've gone from red to green. And then you move on to the next one. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, interactive, personalized coaching. And we have had incredible results. I mean, we had one guy and, um, well, what happened was he's diagnosed with, with, with mixed dementia, which is Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. He, uh, his wife, um, Dorothy, kept finding him in different rooms at night. In other words, he could not find the loo in his own home. He couldn't turn his computer on or off. He was a programmer. He couldn't both eat and talk. He couldn't conceive of tomorrow. He was a gardener. He couldn't plant his garden. And after the diagnosis, she said, well, what can we do? And the answer was nothing. So she went online, she found our charity, sat down with him, did the test, worked out his scores, and then he really went for it, or she, you know. He went to bed a little earlier because sleep is good. He started to um, eat way less carbohydrates, and uh, five days he went ketogenic, um, and he also had this um, medium-chain triglyceride fat oil, which is tasteless and very nice. It's called C8 oil. Uh, the product's called KetoFast. He had a tablespoon every day. He took the B vitamins with the omega-3s. And um, three months later, he is um, he's planted his whole garden. He's actually doing Morris dancing, you know, which requires quite some coordination. Um, he's absolutely functioning so much better. He's happier. His personality is back. He's doing emails. And uh, his scores have come right down. So, you know, it's a, it's a doable thing. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to you because you can tell lots of people and we want lots of people telling lots of people to go to foodforthebrain.org, click on the test, do it. You know, the whole process is going to take you maybe 20 minutes, but you're worth it. Um, and then, you know, we'll guide you step by step. And that's, it's citizen science. You're the scientist. Um, it's citizen science funded by you, you know, by all of us chipping in 50 pound a year. Yeah. It's the leanest, uh, smallest, mightiest, keenest charity. There's only five of us um, paid. We're all paid the same. Uh, we all apparently work two days a week, but I think we you wanna, if you want to give a shout out to all those five people, including yourself, well, yourself and then who's the other four people? Okay, uh, wonderful. In Belfast, we have Kim. And she, she's her job is to um, help people through the whole journey of cognition. So she's head of cognition support. And I'll tell you, this is a really freaky thing because we were looking for someone brilliant to do communications. And we have someone called Kezia and she's uh, just a little bit south of Glasgow in the Paisley area. And then we were looking for somebody um, brilliant to manage the research. We've got a team of professors, but we need someone to manage the process. And uh, we have Kath, and she's also in that Paisley area, just as it happens to be. And then we were looking for an absolutely brilliant person to run our blood tests, because we now measure omega-3, vitamin D, homocysteine, and the sugar measure, which is HbO1c. And uh, she happens to live, they're all within 10 minutes of each other. Oh, brilliant. And they're all within 10 minutes of, of, of uh, Glasgow Airport, where Kim from Belfast can, um, you know, can fly in. And then we have uh, a magnificent fellow called Steph, who's um, runs our operations and digital side. And nowadays it's sort of all about digital, you know? Uh, and uh, so he's just incredibly generous and has a whole team of programmers. And it's funny because when you look at foodforthebrain.org and you realize we've tested 400,000 people and we reach, you know, 
approaching a million people and we're doing all this stuff and you think it must be some big organization that's funded by some big thing and the truth is it's it's five of us um, with 25 volunteers including some of the world's leading professors uh, with no you know lean meat so to speak wow. no wasted money I was looking at some of the charities you know and for every hundred pounds they raise um, you know 60 pounds of it goes to the fundraiser you know you know which ones or do you not want to say or i'm not going to say but i mean i'm yet to find any charity in this field that's spending more than two percent of the money they raise on um prevention so so it reminds me of lemmings basically you know we got all these lemmings falling out of the sky this big waiting list of lemmings to get into the hospital and all these very laudable people trying to make the last year of life of the broken lemmings uh better because it's pretty damn miserable. And uh, when you scroll up the cliff, uh, there's a couple of radical lemmings. They've just put up a sign and all the others are looking very bewildered and it says, don't jump, right? <laughs> and that's prevention. So do you want to be in, in the lemdemic, in the, in the lemming hospital waiting for a cure, which is not going to happen because these diseases are not due to a lack of a drug. And the classic example of this, you know, is happening right now with, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit like, um, you know, tooth decay, right? <laughs> you know, do you take a drug that stops the tooth decay or do you brush your teeth? You know, it's a bit like polar bears are going extinct because of global warming. So do we develop a drug that lowers their body temperature? Now you've got to deal with global warming. That's the point. So it is true that in the brains of people with dementia Alzheimer's, you get these deposits of something called amyloid, amyloid plaque. It's a bit like, you know, dental plaque. Mm -hmm. And they've now developed these injections of antibodies that target the amyloid protein, and they work. Um, I mean, there have been 14 studies that show that they lower the level of amyloid, but have absolutely no clinical effect. So they, you know, they lower the marker, but they don't actually treat the disease. And in the last two studies, five people died. Um, a third got brain bleeding or swelling. This is published. Wow. When did we get to the point where you can run a study? Um, this was, a, you know, 1,500 people. So one in 500 die. And you go, that's okay. You know, that's fine. Um, you know, yeah, it's crazy. You know, if, if I ran a study on vitamin C, uh, you know, the same number, and one person died, it would be bad. You'd be slaughtered. Yeah. So, so the point is, uh, you know, that I guess the truth is we're sort of lazy. We'd like to keep eating the sugar, having lots of coffee. One a day is probably not a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, alcohol, because we're so stressed out, it helps us to relax. And we'd like to do all these things, which the marketeers want us to do because they're selling the products and, you know, they like us to be addicted. So we keep buying their products and pretend that one day there's going to be a cure for a disease. But the, the sad truth, there isn't going to be a cure for Alzheimer's. It's just not going to happen because it's not caused by one thing. There is nowhere where you can stop this process. You have to take charge and responsibility for yourself. And it's not that difficult to get yourself to the point where you do not need to suffer from these diseases. And anyone who has any relative that they've watched fade away with dementia or cancer or anything else. Um, just realize that's you if you don't change anything and it doesn't need to be you at all. There is no need to get any of these diseases really. 
They're not a mystery. We've learned what's driving things, and it's got a lot to do with what you put in your mouth, what you put in your mind, and um, how you exercise your body and interact with others. Definitely. And um, one thing that keeps going to my mind is whenever, uh, whenever I visit uh, a family member who's going, going in hospital, and I just think, I sit there and I'm thinking, this could have been preventable by just uh, changing your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, the hospital should be like if you have an injury, like, you know, if you have a, a car crash or an issue with your bone or, you know, you've broken something. But now you go, you go and see people in hospital who have like heart issues. Um, I, even my one of my nans, because I got quite a few um she went she went into hospital and she is it dementia linked to heart attacks as well because she had dementia and then she had a heart attack or is that just because no no they're they're very linked and also and also strokes you know so strokes dementia and so on yeah it it, it's sort of all you know it's kind it's it all merges into one so diabetes heart disease strokes alzheimer's dementia um you know it's we are human beings. We, you know, we are blessed with this thing called consciousness. We don't know where it comes from. It just is. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're blessed with this body. And uh, one of the stories I, I, I really love, because I spent a while working on a mobile hospital in India uh, when my kids were young and they, they came out um, and we were there for several months. And we collected the stories of the, of the saints who died consciously, which is called samadhi. Uh, so it is said that basically, um, when you're fully conscious, fully aware, you know when you're dying, and it it doesn't need to be, um, you know, such a a big deal. Uh, we're all terribly scared of it, uh, but we don't know that consciousness stops, and we have no evidence that it stops. We see the body stop, but we have no evidence that consciousness stops. Anyway, here's the story, and it's a guy who died in the 1930s. He's called Ziprawana. His nickname was Zippy, actually. And um, he was like the holy man, usually naked, uh, in the village. And one day he knocks on the door of an old lady and he says, it's Zippy, uh, give me a bath and give me dinner. And she was, you know, honored. And uh, he had a bath and washed his body and sat down and ate dinner and fed his body, looked her straight in the eye and said, Zippy's off now. You can cry all you like, but it won't make any difference. And he died. And that was it. So his last act was to wash his body feed his body, and then leave his body. So we've sort of forgotten that everything we enjoy through the senses, all the pleasures of life, occur because of the body, because we can hear and we can see and we can taste and we can move and we can dance and so on. And so really optimum nutrition is a simple act of respect uh, for this one thing that we're born with, this incredible human body. And... um, at the moment, you know, you stop in a service station and you look around and it is insane. I mean, there is nothing in there that has any resemblance at all um, to the wild nutrition that grew our brains. And brain size in Homo sapiens has shrunk by over 20% in the last 30,000 years. It took us six million years to go from the brain size of a chimpanzee, which is 350 cc up to about 1,700 cc. And then in the last 20 to 30,000 years, we have decreased our brain size, which is on skull size, 
from 1700 CC down to the average now, which is 1330 CC. So Homo sapiens is devolving and it coincides with moving away from the water's edge because we could not have become Homo sapiens without a very high intake of marine food, both plant food and marine foods. So we're talking about mussels, oysters, crabs, fish, et cetera, et cetera. And then over the last 10,000 years, we agriculturalized and moved to much more land-based food. So we're talking, you know, plants and meat, much yeah. less. And uh, over the last 10,000 years, our brain size has consistently shrunk. Over the last 40 or so years, our IQ is going down. Our mental health is suffering. We don't have the intelligence to make the solutions that will prevent this. But every one of us has total control over what we put in our mouth and thus our present and our future. And uh, you with your two lovely uh, daughters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying trying to just implement little things where they can be like, oh, my dad's given me this. And then when, and, and the beauty about children is they actually ask a lot of questions. So, mm -hmm. and without any sort of like second thought, they might be like, oh, so why am I eating this? What's it going to do? And then, you know, I fill them in with the uh, nutritional uh, information. Well, no, I'm better to light a candle and rage against the darkness. You know, you, you do what you can. And it's very funny being a grandparent because, you know, we, we, we cannot say to the parent exactly what they must do, you know? Exactly, yeah. Children, and funny enough, and I, I mean, this may not be PC, and um, I'm 65, and I think people over uh, my age have a little bit more PC license, but my, one of my grandsons is a total sugar addict, uh, and you can see the direction he's going in. He yeah. just loves it. And um, the other day, you know, I was in charge and he was climbing up the kitchen shelves to get to the sweets. And I said, no, um, you, you can't. And he said, well, why not? I really like sugar. And I said, that's a good answer. Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, but there's a limit. And um, I'll tell you why. Because if you have a lot of sugar, you end up with a disease called diabetes. And um, he says, what's diabetes? And I said, well, let's, let's Google it and let's look it up. What happens when you get diabetes? And the answer is um, you can end up with amputations. And uh, let's look it up. And, and it said there were 250,000 amputations. Um, and they said, well, whether you, you lose your legs. And they said, well, well how? They said, well, they chop it off. Well, how do they chop it off? He said, with a saw. <laughs> and his imagination is really and said does it grow back and said no it, it doesn't grow back and he said but my dad he has coca-cola and haribus is he going to get diabetes and he said well it's it's possible but you know i said I, I love you and the reason i'm telling you these things is that there are consequences um which you can't see and and that's why i'm not going to give you any more sugar today wow interesting yeah. very interesting well you know you do you're doing your job you're doing a job as a grandparent you know if you don't say who else who else is right yeah exactly great great um what if someone asked you what is optimum nutrition what would you say to them well i'd say it's whatever the nutrition is that's going to allow you to feel absolutely amazing and the key is get your sugar intake down eat less carbohydrates eat lots of fruit and veg and herbs and spices rich in antioxidants and um, I would also say definitely have some seafood. I like to have three servings of oily fish a week. We're talking mackerel, 
sardines, salmon, that kind of thing. Omega-3s make such a big difference. And if you, I, I would say supplement, definitely vitamin C, at least a gram a day. I take two. Um, maybe you don't eat so much when you're young. Um, omega-3, I both supplement omega-3 and I eat it. And if you're vegan, you can get omega-3 DHA derived from algae. So you can get vegan omega-3 DHA. And I would say take a high strength multivitamin with all those amazing B vitamins and minerals. And, uh, you know, if you do that, you'll feel better within about 10 days. You can literally feel your energy increase. Your body will love you and give you energy, clarity of mind and less pain. And I, I think the last thing I remember the Dalai Lama, I did a course with him. He said, every human being has two fundamental desires. One is to be happy and the other is to be free of pain. And he said, my daily meditations, I meet people is to remember that my desire to be happy and free of pain is of no greater or lesser importance than yours. So do all this for your own happiness and your own freedom of pain. Amazing. Amazing. And what does health mean to you? Health means um, uh, no pain. You know, health means no, was no awareness of something that hurts. It means having full energy. Uh, so enthusiasm, you know, literally waking up alert, energetic, enthusiastic, ready for action. Um, and yeah, that, that really is health. And having that for as long as possible is my definition of health. Brilliant, brilliant. And what have you got coming up for 2024? Well, actually, what have you got coming up for Christmas? What's your plans for this year? Christmas is only what? Well, I've got, <laughs> yeah, I live on a, I live on a, a, a 18 acre farm down in the Black Mountains in Wild wow. And uh, I've got some alpacas arriving for Christmas or just after Christmas, which is terribly exciting. And the alpacas are actually going to protect the chickens from foxes. They're really good um, guardsmen. And then I've got some runner, Indian runner ducks who eat the slugs because we're growing all our food here. So um, next year, uh, it's a big project, is making super nutritious food that we grow ourselves. I've even got a device where I can measure the nutrition content of the food that we grow. What's I've, the name of that device? Um, well, it's, there's two versions of it. It's called the Bricks Meter, but there's something called Griffin, GR. Growing Real Food for Nutrition, G-R-F-F-N. Google that and you'll find out about, about um, this process. I've finished a book. I've just literally finished proofing the final version. It's called Upgrade Your Brain. Um, it comes out on April the 25th. I'm going to be doing lecture tours in Ireland and across the UK. And uh, for you, there's going to be a big Upgrade Your Brain Summit on April the 24th. Mark that day down in your diary because that's sort of for practitioners. Um, and then in, the, in May, globally, with the world's leading experts, we're going to be launching Alzheimer's Prevention Day, uh, which doesn't exist at this moment in time. So that's, that's going to be a, a major driver. And then also very exciting um, for us is on sort of January the 30th, we're launching a single pinprick blood test um, that measures your homocysteine, your omega-3, your vitamin D, and your blood sugar, your HbA1c, all in one. Um, and, and it's going to be certainly under 200 pounds, I think 170 pounds, something like that. Wow, and there's nothing like that out there then? Nothing like that. And it's really simple. You buy the kit, you prick your finger, you send it back. 
And a bit like the test that you just did, that starts to make you aware there's room for improvement in this area. Um, that test will show you what's actually happening in your body, um, what's actually going on. And then you can see whether you do need more omega-3, more vitamin D, more B vitamins, you know, to take charge of your sugar. And you may be just fine. And then you know that you're okay and you can, you know, cruise along. So that's, um, it's called the drift test. If you go to foodforthebrain.org, there's a section on tests, you know, you'll see it. Um, and yeah, so, so all these things are coming together. So 2024 is going to be a very exciting year, the year of prevention. Um, and prevention is better than cure. Oh, you just took the words out of my mouth. That's great. And where can everyone find you if they want to locate you or whether it be online or message you if, that, if that's something you do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, foodforthebrain.org is the organization I'm running. I have my own website, which is called patrickholford.com. And I didn't mention on there, there is actually a 100% health questionnaire that you can do that works things out as well. Um, I have Facebook, I have Instagram. I meant to know the handles. I don't, but I'm sure if I'll, you just... I'll put them down on the screen. Yeah, they're there. So every day I'm looking at Instagram and Facebook and people asking questions and I'm answering them, um, you know, through those channels. And yeah, so stay in touch, make some changes, read a book or two, um, learn because no one's going to teach you. You got to no, teach... No, do you know what? Do, do you know what? If it wasn't for you and me div uh, diving deep into nutrition... During COVID, I don't know what would have happened because I was in a we we're all in one household because my new house was this house was getting done at the time. And I was just like, okay, then who is actually talking about what we can do? Because I remember Boris Johnson saying that, oh, wash your hands and keep inside, stay away. And my first my first message on my Twitter was, How come he's not talking about nutrition or eating well? And then I saw you talking about the vitamin C vitamin C for COVID. I think that's the, what you launched, a program or some sort of yeah, we know we had a thousand scientists working on vitamin C for uh, it was literally vitamin C for COVID.org. And uh, we had a thousand scientists and doctors around the world. The science was impeccable. Uh, you know, just and also, by the way, at patchcolfer.com, if you've got a disease, it could be anything, arthritis, multiple sclerosis, you know, whatever. If you put that into the search engine on patchcolfer.com, you'll probably find that I've written an in depth report. There's so much free information. Yeah. yeah, I'm about to say. So basically last year, um, I had to take Imodium for something for emergency. And for the first time ever, I broke up in hives on my legs and it was going crazy. And I was like, oh man, what can I do about this? I've never read about this. I went to your website, put in hives and um, you gave, you space said um, it was quercetin and uh, vitamin C and, I, and something else. I yeah. did it. Literally after three days, it just disappeared. No, I mean, quercetin, by the way, is amazing. It's it's what's in red onions. You get about 20 milligram in a red onion, but you need to get over 500 milligram to get amazing anti-inflammatory effect. And it turns out that um, I, I kind of had a lucky break because I formulated for a company, a product called Alex, A-double-L-E-X, has vitamin C, has quercetin, high dose, has bromelain, which is a pineapple, yeah. a protein uh, digesting enzyme. It turned out, the bromelain breaks down clots, you know, these micro clots that people are getting after COVID and also after vaccination. So I'll tell you a story. I run down here in, in Wales and you'll, if you go to patrickgolfer.com, you click on events. Once a year, I do a retreat and people come to Wales. We, we spend three days together. Anyway, this lady turns out she's got post COVID. She's, you know, somewhere in a sort of mid thirties or something. 
and she happens to be staying in in um in a shepherd hut that's you know 100 meters away up a slight incline and just to get to where her bedroom is she has to stop three times because she's got this total physical post-covid sort of exhaustion and um she said what can i do and she was already taking vitamin c um so that that, that was covered so i gave her in the winter we need 3000 units of vitamin d a day but it stores so you can actually take seven once a week so i gave her seven 21,000 units of vitamin D straight away and um, and gave her six Alex's on the pot. It says three. I gave her six. And um, and then in the evening um, again and um, in the morning, another three Alex. And well, 36 hours later, we went for a one hour hill walk. And she said, I have gone from under 50 percent function to over 95% function That's in amazing. 36 hours. She was taking immune C, which is a vitamin C with, with zinc and black elderberry. Alex is the key and got her vitamin D up. So, you know, that, that's just a hot and very simple tip. I mean, my local farmer who, um, you know, runs the sheep here, you know, he was sick as a dog and uh, I just gave him a pot of Alex. And, amazing, you know. So he tells all these farmers, they really work. <laughs> you know, so so nutrition whatever you think about nutrition is way more powerful than you think that's really the thing i'm learning things every day uh, about about nutrition and when your body is out of balance what you're trying to do is to create an environment in other words what you put in your mouth um, where it becomes impossible for it not to be sick so when i had covid i suffered for 18 hours that's the truth um, I, I couldn't, during those 18 hours, I couldn't write, you know, the brain is not working. And then 24 hours later, I'm back. Yeah. And that's all you need. If you know what to do, right. You do, you know, a flu does not really need to floor you for more than 24 hours, 48 at most. Yeah. And I, I bought your book. Uh, you did a, f a flu book for, um, during COVID time. And I thought it was brilliant because it basically breaks oh. down why, what a virus is, what happens and what you can take. And you even, you even during the COVID time, you, um, let everyone download, uh, one, one of the pages for free or something, which basically just tells you what you can do. No. And finally, just on that one, I went to meet the very, very brilliant sort of head scientist at Chelsea Westminster hospital who was giving her critical COVID patients um, up to two grams of vitamin C a day. And very often other doctors would take them off. You know, this is anti-vitamin thing. And um, I said to her, you know, you're a woman of science. How do you know you're giving enough if you don't test? And she said, you're absolutely right. So um, there are these vitamin C urine sticks. So basically you should always be excreting some vitamin C. So I, I gave her a whole load and she started to test her critical COVID patients and up, up the intravenous dose to six grams. But then here you have the tragedy. We, we actually designed a study. Um, if you ask a very simple question, because of course we had 40,000 people die in care homes in the UK. How much vitamin C does a person in a care home need just to be normal, not, not for COVID or anything else, just to be normal, normal blood level? Because at the moment, the assumption is the RDA, um, you know, the reference nutrient intake is the same uh, for a 20-year-old as it is for an 80-year-old in a care home. And you know that's not the case because they got all this inflammation and, you know, they need more, obviously. The question yeah. is how much. Never been studied. That is crazy. Didn't you do the study? We set up 
to do the study with top professors, NHS, Grampian, University of Aberdeen, the whole lot. They told us how much money they needed to do the study. Um, they even had us get certain supplies for the study. Um, I went out and raised the money. Um, and a couple of months before it was due to start, they just pulled it. And with no explanation. Wow. Not you know, people can make their own minds up with that one. Exactly. It was a tragedy. And uh, we got the money back. And most people very generously allowed us to go back into the Alzheimer's research. But, uh, you know, it, it, there is this anti-nutrition, you know, that there is in our culture and in corporation and in government and all the rest of it. There's this close down on nutrition. And in case the penny is not yet dropped for you, the point is, you can only make big money if you can patent something because then you get a monopoly and you can charge what you like and you can only patent something that is man-made so you cannot patent a nutrient quercetin vitamin c omega-3 because it exists in nature it's unpatentable consequently it will never be that profitable for sure people make some money selling vitamin c and so on but it's just generic it's like selling bananas or apples or whatever and if it wasn't for that simple thing of patentability, um, our whole medicine would be completely different. And unfortunately, it's all of that money, um, and we're talking over a trillion dollars a year, it's a very big industry, um, that supports research and journals and all the rest of it. And that is why a doctor gets many thousands of hours studying pharmacology, what drug to prescribe for what disease and potentially under 24 hours studying nutrition. And we'll leave it at that, Patrick. Thank you so much for your time. I am so honored to have you as my guest, and I'm so honored that you, you responded to me by email, that you're happy to do this with me. I hope we do this again. I hope we meet one day, um, because that would be a truly honor. And yeah, I wish you best for everything that's going on. You're always keeping yourself busy, always challenging yourself, and uh, hope you have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. You too. Happy, healthy New Year to you, Omar, and everybody listening. Thanks so much. Take care, Patrick. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.